In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Jim Ford. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 276. Oh yeah. Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps issues 12 and 13. Finally. <laughs> yeah, so. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Mark. <laughs> Thanks for returning, Jim, because we, cause, cause Lord knows lately I've been recruiting bodies left and right, and, and, I, and, and you're the first one I always go to, and Corwin's the one I go to after you, and... Sometimes Chad, but... <laughs> and I usually say no. No, yeah, that's true. Other, <laughs> other than pre-birth, sometimes it's... But at least issue 13 kind of intrigued you a little, so that's how I was able to pull you back in. <laughs> Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. That's right. And, yeah, the irony is, of course, this this episode, if things had gone in a perfect world, which they never seem to do for anybody, but let alone us lately, when <laughs> we're trying to record... This episode actually probably would have been recorded right around the time we recorded the last pre-birth episode, <laughs> in the beginning of March. Yeah. But, and probably based on what's going, if things, unless some things get really get screwed up, you're probably going to end up getting two back-to-back episodes of Hal Jordan and the Core. Two seventy-seven is probably going to be that too, according according to the current recording schedule. But considering how hopelessly behind we are, especially in that book, I guess it makes sense that we do two, two episodes back-to-back of that because we are really fall, falling behind on Hal Jordan and the core. <laughs> it is super ironic that you say hopelessly. Yes. <laughs> yes, because that would, because the next issue, will, the next episode will be covering the uh, Quest for Hope arc. And that, should, that'll, that will be quite an interesting episode. I think there'll be a lot of fun stuff in that episode. Uh, so, should we just kind of jump right into the sucker? Absolutely. Alright, so I'm taking issue 12, which is the final part of Bottle Light, and for those who do actually remember, this was Laura Flea's <laughs> kind, of, yeah. kind of Laura Flea's hoarding everybody inside uh, inside one of his bottles that it, thanks to uh, Brainiac and everybody else, he's been, he's been collecting uh He's the grand collector, collecting all everything and anything he can find. And we have what, but Tomar trying to keep, uh, trying to keep his city from being destroyed and all this stuff. So, but uh, so let's just jump into this. The I'm kind of mixed. I'm the the Vance Guyver cover, the main cover. I'm kind of mixed on because I I think all the all the Earth Lanterns kind of look cool, but Larflees doesn't. <laughs> I don't like his face. Yeah, of... I have the other one, the um Oh the Nolan cover. Yeah. Oh. And, and let me take a moment since I, I think why I have time tonight. What what's he must have some real good blackmail stuff on DC because most of his covers are atrocious. 
Yeah, I mean, like, this one, I mean, I, I kind of like it. This one isn't bad. It's just like, you know, Larfley's sitting on a an asteroid or a small, you know, chunk of rock or whatever with his power battery. This one's pretty good. But, I mean, most of them, it's like, it's ridiculous because they're so muted in color, in design. It's like, you know, like, and especially on the color, it's like, it's Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. They freaking fight with light. You know? Right. Like, they're constantly coming into contact with other cores. Hey, you know, like, the, I think, um, is it the next one where it's kind of like a... Um, Orange and green. The, the Nolan cover. I'm looking at the one for 13. That's what I actually was thinking of when I was going on my rant, even though I have disliked most of his covers at this point. But that was the one I was actually thinking of because I, I, di- I have the digital. So I'm... I'm oh, looking. wait a second. No, 13, I guess I have the other one. Oh, you have the hard copy? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you were... I'm so used to... I'm so used to Chad looking at the digital. You have... So you have the one... You have the one with the... With Kyle on the left-hand side in white and Arisia behind yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah, I, the Mikkel Janin cover. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the... I'm looking at the... the on the digital copy, the second cover is the Nolan one, and it's pretty... Kyle and Guy look absolutely atrocious on that, so... Um, it's like, yeah, I, I actually, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of either of these cover artists. Uh, like, I wish I had seen the, the Van Skyver cover to 12. In fact, while we're talking, I'm going to look that up. But, yeah, I mean, like, art-wise, these covers are kind of lackluster. Like, I, I really wish that they'd give it to, like, the interior artist. Because right. Those guys are... Like, you know, they're banging it up, especially on these two issues. Right. So I don't – yeah, I don't quite understand that. I mean, the whole what's, – what's the point of, you know, these special covers and these variant covers of, if, it, if they're crappy or they don't really have any appeal to them? If they look weird, I mean, it's, just because it's more rare, who's going to care if it's a crappy cover? I mean – yeah. Sometimes I've gotten the, the I've gotten the variant covers pulled for me, and it's like, uh, no, I, I want the other cover because because yeah. they're not as good, you know. So I mean, I oh, well, are they really variants or is it just like a fifty-fifty? Uh, they're called variants. I'm not sure what I'm not sure what the ratio is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm looking at the uh, issue twelve Van Skyver cover now. I, I'm I'm pretty happy with my Nolan variant. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Laura Fleas does does not look good facially. Uh, he looks too more almost like a demonic goat or something like that. Uh, but yeah. Guy looks good. Hal looks good. Kyle's in an awkward pose, but he kind of looks good. And you see, know, all you see is John's back, so it's kind of hard for him not to look good. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, I'm looking at number thirteen now. Whoa, that's bad. Oh, the variant? You're just looking at the Nolan the Nolan variant? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is bad. That's that's the one, like I said, that's the one I was that's the one I was initially thinking of why I wanted to mention the covers because I, I, there are, have been other covers that he's done that I've disliked, but when I saw this one it's like Hal himself doesn't look that 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 horrible. John really looks John doesn't look much like John and God Kyle and Guy are horrible. So and plus the plus there's like the the, the cover is so nondescript to begin with, even factoring in you have four characters on the cover. I mean, the background, and it, it's just weird. Um, but... um, for number 14, 
I mean, not that we're discussing that one. Right. But I, I just happen to be looking at the covers now. I, I, let's see. Which one do I have? I have the... Sandoval. The Sandoval Tarragona one or whatever, but St. Walker looking like he's constipated. No, I have the Nolan. Oh, no. What is that one? Uh, it's... Well... I appreciate this one at least because it's a. Um, oh, it's a throwback one. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, you're right. Let me take that one. Yes, it's a, yes. I do. I do remember seeing that one. Had, yes, you're right. That one. That one because it's a throwback. That one is not. That that one isn't bad. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that about it. I don't. I still don't really appreciate the colors. Um, the other one, the constipated <laughs> Saint Walker, I, like. I don't know if I like that at all. St. Walker looks okay. I think St. Walker looks fine. I think the problem is I don't think Sandoval draws a good Hal facially, and I don't like the way he draws Kyle. So I don't think those characters look that great. St. Walker by himself kind of looks okay. Because he really, joking aside, he, he, he he looks more in serious concentration than he does in, you know, but... And then real true constipation, but <laughs> but but constipation people, concentration. That's right. Sometimes they go hand in hand. But if you looked at the cover, you could see where the joke came from. But I think Saint Walker looks pretty cool. His chest symbol doesn't look the best, but he looks pretty cool. But I, so I guess you're right for that one. Nolan is the Nolan cover is not bad. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so let's, yes. Let's uh, go on the, I know. Uh, the actual inside the cover. I know now. it's a rarity to go off on like a five five to six minute tangent before we even talked about one thing happening in the issue. But hey, yeah. t- tonight we have time, so we're rolling, baby. Uh, and you were worried that we were gonna run short. Nah, actually, <laughs> I I never really that worry. You you and I usually can talk about stuff, and not, and I don't mean just boring crap either. I mean we we can find stuff at least to us that's interesting at least. Yeah. All right, so Bottle Light, the conclusion, Orange Crush. There's an original title. So we have uh, Robert Venditti, Ethan Van Skyver, Jason Wright, colorist, Dave Sharp, letterer, cover Van Skyver and Wright, variant cover, of course, as we mentioned, Kevin Nolan, Andrew Marino, assistant editor, Mike Cotton, editor, and once and for <laughs> and forevermore, Eddie Berganza, still the group editor. Uh, so we begin in Sector 2828, the Bowels of Okara, this one isn't a bad – I mean, the splash page is cool, again, other than the fact that I don't like the way Van Skyver draws Laura Fleece's face. He almost looks like Firestorm there, other than other than the fangs sticking out of his face. <laughs> but I like the fact that Laura Fleece looks kind of ominous, holding the power battery, using his his ring hand, you know, aiming it down to create all the, all the constructs. <laughs> I like Galami like wearing, like, pajama pants, it looks like. <laughs> Speedos. Speedos! Uh so and and you have you know that brainiac there too and of course Laura Flea saying mine there's you know I've never heard that one before too we have the energy constructs created by Laura Flea's kind of uh, circling the lanterns the greens and the yellows that have that are now have teamed up uh, John pretty much tries to Tomar like I mentioned Tomar is pretty much spending his entire time concentrating on keeping his city encased in a green energy bubble to try to protect it or else because if he doesn't it's going to like expand and it'll be destroyed and yada yada so the the yellows and the, the yellows and the greens team up to try to you know, stop the orange lantern constructs John's just kind of happy that he finally gets to hit something <laughs> then we have a then we have a nice splash page of the Sinestro Corps and the Green Lanterns together Sinestro's, Green Lantern's might on the left, Sinestro's might on the right, which is kind of 
interesting because you might think they might want to be switched based on normal <laughs> right you think about it but maybe that's yeah. but to be fair maybe that's why it was done the done the way it was but based on ring hands and everything else it would make sense if it was split but i really do like i do like the splash page i think he does Vance Skyver draws a really nice sora though i am missing that zipper i really am uh guy looks cool yeah, it's just an it's just a very nicely done splash page we skip the transluminal space, wherever that is, as <laughs> racing to Spectre two, Sector 2828. I like that. It speeds beyond the laws of physics. <laughs> Holy hyperbole, Batman. We have uh, Hal, who looks really good. Kyle, who, who looks horrible. And Ganthet and Sade, they're all, they're all flying back. Kyle's trying to figure out how Lorflees was able to trap, you know, the Green Lantern Corps on his home turf, and we get some generic Guardian wisdom about, you know, the orange. You know, do not underestimate the, you know, the Avatar of the Orange Lantern. Uh, Ganthet and Sade, mostly Sade at this point, is trying to talk, saying that maybe we should basically come up with a plan before we do this, and something which has kind of been really prevalent, and I, <laughs> and not just how Jordan's life, but certainly I think Robert Venditti is putting it like really out there. I've even noticed it in the issue that that just came out like last week, that they're really making it clear like Hal is kind of embracing the fact that he doesn't plan anything, <laughs> and and he's happy with that. <laughs> it's like, hey, but you know, it's like. Uh, Lorflees is an expert at greed, but, you know, my specialty is unpredictability. Uh, ba- yeah. Ba- yeah. Yeah. I think I, I'd rather go with greed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take greed for a thousand, Alex. Uh, back in Okara, we have, you know, John and Guy are kind of being outnumbered and outgunned here by the orange constructs. Sora points out, and I kind of like this because it's a little dig. She's kind of pointing out how the Yellow Lantern constructs are holding up a little better, but there's too few of us, and it's like we can't win, not at this power level. And they kind of come up with a – John kind of mentions the fact that, you know, uh, you know, your rings can feed off localized fear, right? And, and Sora's like, why are you feeling afraid? I like – see, I like their banter. The, the Hal-Kyle banter annoys the hell out of me because it's so uncharacteristic for them. But I like the fact that John and Sora, because they are both in charge, and it, and it, I just like – I like their I, – I think their banter is more believable. They're, they're back and forth than a lot of the stuff we get between Hal and Kyle just going forward. Uh And basically the reason why John said that is because he starts – he starts breaking some of Laura Fleece's – Jars is his collection. <laughs> and as soon as that happened, Lord Flea starts freaking out. It's like, my collection! It's escaping! And as soon as that happens, Lord Flea's fear starts spiking. And of course, as soon as that happens, all the Sinestro Corps members basically start getting, you know, get, getting amped up on the localized fear. And that kind of gives them, it kind of gives like an excuse for Kilowog Smash! Among other Green Lantern Corps members. Because they realize now's the chance to kind of like, to just let loose, so they start basically destroying almost every everything they can find in Laura Fleece's collection, and he really starts losing it. <laughs> and I like the way Brainiac, because you know he's actually enjoying this, how he's just rattling off the number of of thing, number of items in the collection that are being removed as they keep going up one after another <laughs> after another. The Sinestro Corps, you know, they're amped up to power levels 150 percent. So they so they really start because once they get to that level they're really start, able to start taking out Laura Fleece's constructs. You know the Green Lanterns pretty much are just more or less confined to taking out the uh, taking out all the collect pieces of the collection. And Laura Fleece is really really losing it. And at, 
just I like this part a lot when guy, guy raises the bottle with Lobo, the new Lo, the new 52 Lobo in it, yeah. who sucks. The new 52 Lobo. Not, not that I, I'm a fan of the other Lobo either, but I I still have an I still have an issue with this Lobo because of all the crap killing killing off the lanterns and collecting the rings. So guy's got the the jar with Lobo in it, and he's just about to smash it. Then a, then a green energy hand picks it out of guy's hand and, you know, comes and picks the bottle out of his hand and goes, not that one. I think you're better off pretty much leaving that one on the shelf. And then we see Ganthet and Sade and Hal and Kyle show show up again uh, as the cavalry and guy's like, I count four people that are supposed to be dead. <laughs> Anyone want to catch, catch me up on this? And it's like, uh, and and Hal's like, don't look at me. You know, I thought I thought I was dead too. And guys, I mean, excuse me, John's like, ah, we have questions, but we can deal with that later. Now we now it's like fight. And ha- I like Kyle. The guys, the gang's back together. Even though his power looks weird. I mean, just the way I, it's the mask. I think more than anything, that mask is a little off. Yeah, yeah. His eyes are too high from his mouth. Yes. The, yeah, the color of the costume is cool, and John, Guy, and Hal look pretty good, but. Something about Kyle's a little awkward. Um, so they can they continue the strategy as they used before, since the the willpower is ineffective. I guess we've kind of seen that before, but we've also seen Green be somewhat effective against. But either way, the idea that we we have to we have to use you know, fear is pretty much what we need here to, in order to win. Meanwhile, Brainiac keeps counting up like 11,846 items removed from the catalog. It's like, everything is leaving! You knew this would happen! It's like, Grand Collector, the orange light energy you used to control me has compelled me to collect, preserve, and catalog on your behalf. Have I not done so? Smartass. Uh, so, Larfleet's really, he's kind of fed up with Brainiac's attitude, so he rips Brainiac's head apart. And Brainiac, for a moment, thinks he's happy because he's finally had release. And then, of course... Lorflees points out what we already know is that that's so quick, Brainiac. When I kill, you, you're always mine. And then basically, uh, Brainiac is resurrected as an energy, as a green, excuse me, as an orange lantern construct. And Lorflees flies off. Orange lanterns, get back my things! Guy wants to take the green lanterns and everybody after him. Uh, Sora's kind of said, I've had enough for one day, and. John kind of like says, "Well, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to face Lorfleet when he has nothing left to lose, which is kind of funny <laughs> at some level." So they basically call it, they basically call it a draw. Meanwhile, you know, uh, Tomar succeeded in keeping his city intact. Uh, the we cut back, we cut back to Zudar, where you know, basically Tomar more or less has kind of like passed out from from basically all the strain of keeping that construct. Intact, he wakes up to find out that you know the city's you know the city survived. The, you know the world is happy. Yada, and and at this point, you know he's kind of Tomar is looking for acceptance from his mom, and unfortunately for him, he doesn't really get it because she says, "Well, I'm, you know, as a Zudarian, I'm happy for what you did, but you know, cons- but because of what happened with your father, you know, I didn't want you know I still don't I don't approve of what you're doing because I I don't want to basically bury somebody else no matter what." Uh, so she walks away, and Tomar's, Tomar 2 is really upset. Hal has the benefit of being able to comfort him by pointing out that when he was in Emerald Space, that you know he saw Tomar Ray, and, Tom, and Tomar Ray, Ray expressed how proud he was that his, you know, that Tomar 2 had picked up and carried on the tradition and followed in his footsteps. So Hal was able to basically, basically give him something that he himself never had, which was approval from his father 100%, and also 
point Tomar in the direction that, see, I never was able to really make amends with my mom because my mom kind of felt the same way your mom does. And me wanting to be a pilot following in my father's footsteps kind of put a wedge between the two of us and we never really were able to reconcile before she died. So basically don't, don't miss, don't be like me. Don't miss your opportunity. So Hal takes satisfaction in watching Tomar go to talk to his mom and, and, and they hug. And then we have the issue ends with the big, mon big monumental decision that the Green Lantern Corps and the, and the Sinestro Corps slash Yellow Lanterns are basically going to team up and form one core. And I like, I like how we're going to do what now? <laughs> you got your what in your hand, Bandit? No, it's like, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So. so that ends Bottle of Light. Mostly. Mostly, yeah. So what do you think? Um, I thought it was pretty good. I, I mean, like, you know, I think a lot of it is kind of fillery. But, you know, overall I thought it was pretty good. I tell you, like, they've, they've done it similar, but not in this way, you know, in the past. How it's like a robot is about to die. And it's just like, oh, thank God, you know, finally I get to die. And it's like, nope, it's snatched from them. <laughs> and, yeah. anyone, and, and if anyone's going to do the snatching, it's going to be lower fleas. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah, like, just seeing that, you know, like, you actually feel sympathy for Brainiac. Yes. Um, I would like to see at some point, like, a, a way to either resurrect or free... Lorfleece's constructs, and we kind of did see that in the actual Lorfleece series. I and I, I didn't read that, and I don't think there was ever re I, as in I don't think it was ever unresolved or, or taken away. I think the I think those original constructs, all the people that he that he had made, uh, avatars, uh, that they were they were brought to life. Uh, so I theoretically I think that's still something that was that really does exist, but. I agree. I think that I think that would be cool. I would I would have to go back. I, th I I'm trying to remember if Glom if Glommy was one of them, but they had but they held they had a whole bunch of them. But that was right in the that was right in the middle of Lower Flea series when it was borderline halfway decent. <laughs> that was the only part that was that's, that was the only part of the Lower Flea story that I liked when they I think they called it the like the Revenge of the Orange Lanterns or whatever it was. It was because for a while they had they had him captured and stuff like that, so they would kind of. But yeah, I agree. I think. I think that's an an interesting idea that you know a way a way to f to free them or to to maybe limit that ability of Laura Fleece somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, um, what you call it now? Kyle comes in and he's using like yellow light because they you know that seems to be what works best. But what about compassion? You know, like compassion is the the opposite you know, end of the spectrum on that one. You know, and also it's like, well, greed takes and compassion gives. So, like, you know, wouldn't compassion have more of an effect on these constructs? It's possible, but actually, have we ever really seen the indigos go against orange? I don't know if we have. I don't think, I don't I don't think, think so. I don't think so either. Which is, one, which is on a complete aside, but I was thinking about this today, so that's why I want to mention it. It's kind of interesting that there are so many people that are like either – well, there's two camps. There's a camp that's completely against the emotional spectrum 
either whether they were to start with or not. They completely hate it. They never want to see it. Doesn't matter how cool a story it is, they don't care. And a, so there's the people that absolutely hate it and the people that don't, but are kind of like a little burned out about the fact that it's hard to do any story without it tying into the spectrum. But the ironic thing about all this is we really not counting the stupid stuff in Lobo and you know with him killing Monk and taking their rings and stuff, but and almost killing Indigo One. But you think about it, we haven't seen anything from the Indigo Tribe since uh, Godhead. Since they betrayed the rest of the cores in Godhead, we really haven't seen the Indigo Tribe at all, including when, which was really ironic when we when Ganthet and Sabre were on the on the other side of Nock, and we still haven't seen the Indigo Tribe. You like to think yeah. that for a reason, plot-wise, for a story, but it's just really interesting because Godhead's been a while now, so it's kind of it's just really curious that with all the how we've kind of in a way we had this regurgitation of all the other parts of the, of the spectrum related to you know reds and orange and yellow and all this stuff and now and in a positive way now back to blue and things like that not so much sapphire lately but not so much carol really but still the, the one we haven't seen hide nor hair of really were the indigo tribe and that's kind of that's kind of interesting to me anyway <laughs> yeah no i mean it makes sense because like it always seemed like the Indigo Tribe was the more mysterious of all of them. They wanted to, you know, kind of shroud them in mystery. And I think with, like, the last Green Lantern series, right right, right when that started up, you had that storyline with Sinestro and Hal that, like, really fleshed them out. Yes. And you, you – now, so now you know a lot more about them, but – you know, I think it's smart to not overuse them, so that way when they do show up, it has more of an impact. I agree. I think it's a po- I think it's a positive. It just it just struck me. And again, you would like to think because it was Venditti who kind of was the architect of the betrayal, if you will. He's the one who wrote that betrayal during Godhead. That you would like to think that he has a plan to use the Indigo Tribe again, which is maybe why they're off. You know, why they're off the table as much as they are. So, but yeah, I think it's just. It's a it's a positive. I, I, it's more like a counter to the people that you know are really like don't want to think about the emotional spectrum again. It's like, well, on the bright side or the interesting side, well, you can't complain about the Indigo Tribe because we've barely seen them at all, like in years. <laughs> yeah, and I think with the Star Sapphires, I don't think they really know what to do with them. I agree. Uh, I think like. It's it's weird, but it almost seems like they're kind of like um, at a loss for coming up with like interesting stories for them. At least you know that's the impression that I get. I think like the last time we saw them was when John became a Star Sapphire. Uh, let's see. There was. I'm trying to think when the last time we saw Carol. But you might be right. That was yeah, because that was in uh, that was yeah, that was a while, that was, still was a while ago. Um, uh, um, did he did maybe he, did he use that power during the uh, the what you call it the uh, lost the lost army? Or did he not? Was that something that one of the things that they never touched back upon and lost army using that using that power? I'm trying to remember when he uh, when he. Uh, yeah, no, I think they completely disregarded that. I think because, like, he, yes, John being a Star Sapphire was, um, uh, that was from, uh, what was the guy's name? Was it 
Jones, the writer who does Cryptocracy now. Oh, Van Jensen. Yeah, Van Jensen. Um, yeah, that was his. I think that was his brainchild. And then once you know they ended the series to do Lost Army, you know, like it didn't touch on that at all. And then the second miniseries yeah. didn't have anything to do with anything. That was horrible. And now they've just started over, and nobody knows. Yeah, nobody knows what's what's real, what's not real, what's gonna when when stuff is gonna be dealt with, when stuff's not gonna be dealt with. That's it's kind of a problem. But I I agree. I think this issue was pretty good. I think the sto- I think the story arc itself was pretty good. I think it was there were some really clever things in this arc. Uh, yeah. Some of the stuff with Emerald Space, it's been a while since we did these issues, but again, there's, there is inconsistency with Emeralds about some of the conversations in Emerald Space, because I know, I think the last episode Chad and I did, we were kind of debating whether it was, at, whether it was, I had thought I remembered that when, when Hal first got to Emerald Space and he talked to Ab and Sir, Ab and Sir kind of seemed completely shocked by the idea that Sinestro could be, do something bad, but then the last Last time we were in Emerald Space, he kind of made it seem like, oh, well, a lot of people here are basically here because of what Sinestro did, So, which would indicate he should know about Sinestro. <laughs> and I went back and I read it, and it's like, yes, the, the first when when there was the shadowy figure in Emerald Space before, when they first met in the first conversation afterwards, it seemed Abin Sur was kind of, in the, kind of completely in the, lost about what Sinestro had done, leading an army of fear and things like that. So there are some inconsistencies. Uh, Emerald Space as a concept is again what it really means. Whether we're, we're you know, let's see how long it takes for that to get fleshed out. But there are some good there are there are some good elements here. I think the the yeah. em- Emerald Space thing. I I mean for one thing I'm not a huge fan of that. You know just by the token that you know these people die and they don't get to go to like heaven or hell. It's just green space. You know, like, that that idea sucks. But, I mean, if you look at it from the idea that it's an echo of your willpower, you know, living on in this zone, basically. So it's almost like a a ghost, but it's it's not, you know, it's not their full essence. It's like a a percentage of their essence, that kind of thing. Like an echo. An echo, yeah. Like a willpower echo. And... I you know I think how being in it is more of just like well here's all these echoes and maybe even each time you go you know it's just basically being recreated you know based on whatever you need to hear at the moment. No, I can I can agree with that. I can go with that. Um, what you call it? Uh, switching topics a little bit. I love the fact that they keep the stupid Lobo in the, uh, yes. in the glass jar. That is the best part of the issue. Yeah, that that Lobo was... Uh... Now, like I said, I've never been a fan of Lobo as a character to begin with. He's never done anything for me. I just hated... As much as I loved what Cullen Bunn did on the Sinestro series, I hated all that stuff that he did in Lobo number one and the fact that so much was related to lanterns and it was done in a non-lantern book. Uh, that stuff that would have ramifications. Like, and all these other all these other red lanterns are back from the dead with some, with some of them not even giving us an explanation, but yet Rancor is supposed to be dead. <laughs> it's like, okay. And my, yeah. I, 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 it was just, it was not well done and, and, I, and I didn't, 
they gave made they made Lobo too tough, considering, and they made like, uh, yeah, I'm not I was not a fan at all of that. So I do like the fact that he's uh, he's where he kind of belongs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, yeah, I, 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 for the most part, dug the art. I mean, you know, Ethan Van Skyver art. I, I even don't mind his, uh, his Larflees. I'll, I'll take it, you know, for what he can do with, like, the energy and everything. Oh, yeah, the construct parts are really cool. Um, but, no, and there are some, like I said, there, overall, there are some really, there are some, and I guess this is going to be, this would be more of my rant, probably, if not necessarily a rant. But when we do, when I get, we get to the uh, quest for hope episode, which should be next. Part of the thing that's frustrating about this stuff is that there are good, good scenes, good elements, good concepts that Robert Venditti kind of introduces. But then there's some other stuff that just makes you want to bang your head against the wall because it makes no sense whatsoever, and it kind of like takes away all the good, all all the good feeling that you get. <laughs> and and it's like, so it's like, it's kind of like exact, probably the you know the quick without looking ahead to that you know to the to, to that arc, the Blue Lantern arc. Like that's that was part of what made the stuff that happened with the with the parallax thing and you know the new the convergence parallax thing at the end of the new Fifty Two run. That's what made that so frustrating because it began so well. Having Parallax show up and, and find that Sinestro has a core, so wiping them out, and that whole line about you know Parallax will bring the dawn and things like that. That was great. And then they, and then by the time he gets to like, oh, I sense how Jordan fear. I tracked him by his fears. Like, oh, you know you're going down the bad road already. And then by the time he got to issue 50, he was like, oh, it's like, come on, man. So, but I, I'm like I said, I'm still holding out hope that maybe we'll get a little bit of explanation for maybe something that happened back when they, back when Parallax was helping to save the the multiverse that maybe the Anti Monitor or somebody else kind of like planted something in them as in a, a a thought or a convert or something that helped get the fear entity maybe maybe more awake and present in him that that at that point in his life that maybe it would have been otherwise, but it's still it's still crap. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he'll team up. Maybe he'll be one of Doctor Manhattan's minions, and, and he'll get the uh, with the parallax entity like pulled out of him, not controlling him anymore. I could, I could get, I could get into that. <laughs> but, but I'm just, ho- I'm just hoping. I'm not saying there's any reason to believe that. I'm just saying it would be other than the fact, other than the fact potentially that we know Jeff Johns, whether he writes that or not, is the architect of whatever is going on behind, you know, the New Fifty Two slash Rebirth. You know, one leading into the other. That so you just just like you know again looking ahead a little bit, I do like the fact that there's stuff related to the Blue Lanterns, which I think ties into what was said in Emerald Space about how you know you have to find hope. You know, the you know the universe basically needs hope or else everything's going to fall apart. That it's pretty clear by what happens in some of the issues that we're going to be dealing with next in in this series that the Blue Lanterns are being the, the power of the blue is relevant to what's going to happen because the outside forces are blocking it from being able to come back in full, in full force. So I do like that, and because Johns is the one kind of pulling the strings, you know, behind that again in a way that would make sense. So I'm kind of so I think that's kind of a nice touch, though. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> so really? speaking of hope, I think it plays into this next issue. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, so uh, we got issue 13 of Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, we got the writer, Robert Vendetti, penciler, V. Ken Marion, 
uh, inkers Paul Neary and Dexter Vines and colorist Alex Solazzo. Now, uh, V. Ken Marion, has he been doing the alternate art, or is he new? I think he's new, because I, be- I think he's... Yeah, because this book has pretty much been going back and forth between uh, Sandoval and um, Sandoval and Van Skyver up to this point, as far as on a regular basis. I'm not saying maybe he didn't, maybe he hasn't done art before on some of the issues, but the main pencilers in this whole in this book have been Van Skyver and Sandoval since it started. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I really. Uh... I dug the art on this issue. Especially, yeah, he does a good job with Zudarians, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so uh, we're on the planet Zudar uh, in space sector 2813, and it's 60 years from now. Although, if it's 60 years from now, and now is when the story starts, does that mean it's 60 years from this future? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> It's 60 years from what just happened. And you have these uh, elderly Zudarians. Uh, let's see. What do we got? Somal? Is that her name? Uh, let's see. Somar. Right, Somar. Somar. Okay. So Somar, you know, her and her husband, you know, they're watching the grandkids. And it's their bedtime, and now they want a story. So she tells them her first story. Back when she was 11, and, you know, she's in the market with her parents, the kids' great-grandparents, and they're in the town square, and you see the statue of Tomare in the plaza, and all of a sudden, Starro appears. Now, I guess, because they alluded to this in either issue 11 or 12, that this is how they lured the Green Lanterns to Zudar. Yep. I guess this was not shown previously. I don't know if this exact scene was shown. I know, I know, you did see Starro because because they fought Starro momentarily in the beginning of that arc before they realized they were trapped in a bottle and and figured out who did it. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so basically, you're getting that story from a different perspective now, uh, from a Zudarian, and yeah, this little girl ends up getting a Starro on her face. She kind of blacks out, and the next thing that she sees is green light. And, you know, like, she's afraid, and, you know, um, she basically forced herself to look up. And what does she see? A whole bunch of Green Lanterns. They had come to save them, and they had fought off Starro, but that was not, you know, the end of it, because uh, even though Starro was gone, they were still in a bottle. And, uh, you know, the Green Lanterns had to fly, fight Larflees, which we just talked about. And, you know, they eventually were, you know, victorious. They returned the Green Lanterns home. And then that's where we get a really nice, two, you know, double-page splash, splash of some threats that were to come after that, which is basically stuff that's about to come in the Green Lantern books, we have uh, Romat Rue, I believe. Yep. Uh, we have Evil Star, and then we have some new menaces, but we'll get to those in a little bit. Then we turn the page and we get another double page splash, and this is 
it's um, rings shooting out looking for new bearers, and they all bear the X, the uh, symbol of Volthum. So some sort of Volthum core is coming, and again, we'll get to that. And then we get what is essentially like a almost like a recreation of the War of Light double page splash from issue 25 of, I guess, two series back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was volume four, right, at that point? Was it? Yeah, it was four. Because mm-hmm. Kyle, Kyle took over at the, in, in volume three, so it was volume four that was the, rebirth, the Green Lantern Rebirth title. <clears throat> so that was the, uh, yeah, during the Sinestro Corps War finale. Uh, yeah, the War of Light, you know, double page. So, yeah, we get a similar one this time around. It's a little different, but we'll go into that in a little bit. And then we're back to the future, and Somar is uh, finishing up her story. The kids are a little scared. <laughs> she basically, you know, says, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, it's like, but, you know, what if those evil things get us? <laughs> the grandma is like, yeah, well, that could happen. <laughs> totally could happen every day but um you know she says you know that while fear rage and greed are all involuntary actions you know even love sometimes or most of the time uh willpower you have to consciously make a decision to you know to do uh, she doesn't really mention hope so much but <laughs> and that that may be telling but um you know, uh, you know, she says you can be a hero. Uh, she goes, she, you know, puts him to bed, goes out, and you know, her husband is out there, and uh, she pulls a little box off a shelf and powers up, and turns out that she's a Green Lantern. And they, you know, her and her husband fly around the city, and you can see three statues now. Uh, you have the Tomar Ray original one. Tomar 2 next to him, and uh, Somar next to them. Next, Hope. Which is funny, because the last issue said that too, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oops! So, somebody didn't get the memo. We had a filler issue to put in. It's a damn good filler issue. It is. It is, a, it is. As as filler issues go, this is, this is pretty good. Yeah. So... I mean, aside from those couple of pages that we're definitely going to be discussing, was there anything else about this issue that, you know, jumped out at you? Well, as you kind of mentioned, the art was really, really good. The, mm-hmm. uh, the Zudar, I mean, not not every character, you know, I think was drawn to, you know, quote-unquote perfection. Though those, The splash pages are pretty good, like, but then again, he's a, he's a Zudarian, so I guess drawing Romat over there would make sense that he looks awesome. Uh, like the Green Lantern core spread isn't isn't quite as cool, but it's a different style of art, so it's still pretty good. It's like Salak looks like your traditional Salak, and yeah. Uh, so the Aresia is a little less defined. Yeah, they see in humans in general. I don't think he's doing as well with humans. Uh, even John looks kind of almost nondescript. Guy looks a little guy like, but you know, but you know, K- Kilowog's pretty good. Goran's son's pretty good. A uh, two six, I think. Ilande there, so I think the more human you get, the less. Wait, there's Rotlop fan. 
Uh, I think what's what we're looking at basically is a difference between anchors. Uh, you got the Paul Neary and Dexter Vines, and I guess depending on which one is inking at the time, one is clearly more adds more definition than the other. That yeah, that does make an impact. Yeah, I, I just like the overall story. I thought it was cool. I liked I liked the you know the bedtime story with the the little girl holding her her stuffed squ- squiggly thing and, and yeah. I just I just I just it was just a nice it was it was a it was a did did it move the story move the stories or the plot in the big in the big picture ahead all that much you know short term no but as we're gonna po- talk about there are some big issue points big potential plot points uh, that. You know whether it ever comes to fruition or not, depending. We don't know, but at least there's, you know, but it does potentially have long-term ramifications. But I just think, as a as a standalone story, it was it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, and it's it's interesting because, like, you know, you mentioned with uh, framing it in the like the bedtime story, it's nice because, like, while this is not an Earth story, it's kind of like getting. The um, the closeness that you would get, like the you know, like an interfamily dynamic kind of thing that you would get from an Earth story, right? So, so that is nice. So, anyway, now going to the good stuff. <laughs> the the first one, the the threats that are you know on the horizon. First off, uh, you know, we'll tackle them one by one. Romat Rue. The thing that's interesting about this is that, like, we basically, like, last issue saw how the Green Lantern Corps is going to be teaming up with the Sinestro Corps. So, what the hell? Right, even though that one does get dealt with relatively quickly in the next going forward, but... Oh. Does it? Yes. Yes. Yeah, as as a spo- as a spoiler alert for up- <laughs> that basically the, the as these two cores team up pretty much not every obviously not every Sinestro Corps member went with Sora to begin with when Warworld blew up so a lot of so a lot of the nastier ones the pro Sinestro ones kind of scattered so pretty oh. much the goal of both of the cores is to track down these members and you know the combined core track will track them down they pretty much have a choice it's like sign cell or you or you join up with the new status quo. So that is so that's kind of the that's the plan. So that's kind of why you know. So that's why he becomes a he's an issue. I see. Yep. Well, that's cool. Uh, then you have Evil Star. Um, he doesn't really look as threatening as I think he probably should. No, but he looks more old school as opposed to remember like when he was wearing the jacket or whatever he was during the Van Jensen run. Remember, he kind of like had the almost like had a trench coat or whatever it was. They kind of oh, yeah, they kind of changed they kind of changed his look a little on that. Yeah, well, yeah that that was just weird. I, that didn't really play into anything that we had kind of been led to believe. But to be fair, again, we don't know if it would have if he if he had gotten the chance to actually. Do what he wanted. I do feel, I do feel bad for Van Jensen because 
he he did there were some really interesting I mean first of all he there were some really interesting characters that he brought back whether they were all his idea or Robert Venditti's idea but they brought back a lot of old characters we hadn't seen before and there were some cool elements he introduced back into the series but we know for the majority of his time on that book he wasn't the one coming you know basically Robert Venditti was the one driving the whole plot yeah, yeah. So he really didn't get a chance to spread his wings and fly, and when he finally was about to, that's when they did Convergence and the book ended up dying. So I kind of – Wait a so, second. Oh, man. You just made me think of something. Like could it, it very well could have been that Van Diddy told him to throw Evil Star in there, and maybe when he – you know, when he was forced to do it, he probably came up with some idea to make it so that it wasn't the traditional evil star so that you could write it off later on in some bigger storyline. Maybe. Possibly. I mean, we'll never know, but yeah. <laughs> like that, that does make me feel a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean like, you know, we're talking about like, this is the guy who set into motion black hand getting his death powers. Yep. So, it would be nice to see some follow-up on that. I'll, I'd like to see Soto Miat come back, since that was that was one of the one of the coolest returns that led to almost nothing in, like, in Green Lantern in the history. <laughs> Let's bring him back yeah. for two issues, and now he's been off the table again, like, for, like, like two, three, two or three years. It's like, it'd be nice to revisit him at some point. Well, Van Jensen, you know, <laughs> he only had so much influence. Oh, I'm not blaming him at all. I mean, I think no, I, know, I, I, know. I, I fully, I mean, that interview, you know, which thank you again, you, you kind of helped put us on the path of that too. Uh, that that interview was, even before that, I was starting to appreciate his run more. But once we talked yeah. to him, I appreciate, I appreciate his run a lot more. And it really does kind of stink that they took, you know, they did kind of pulled it, you know, pulled the rug out from underneath him when he finally had the opportunity to start telling stories that were not tied directly into the Green Lantern book, and then boom, then it's like you just don't get to finish or whatever ideas you had or where you were going to go with it, you just didn't get to really see it. So, yeah. Um. Okay. So next up, uh, I believe this is one of the new threats that we have not seen before. It's like birds made out of like either metal or crystal shards um they look pretty menacing i i don't know what else to say beyond that although i guess it would be pretty interesting if they are like oh shoot do you think they're made out of metal or do you think they're like prisms I was gonna lean towards metal, but you, but you don't know. Uh, certainly, certainly, it has to be something we've seen before in some shape or form because because they're on they're on the part of the page that says threats old and forgotten worm their way back, and the stuff that talks about new stuff is on the bottom of the page. But those but those celestial looking robots, so you would have to think those bur those crystal those crystal prism things are something we've seen before. I don't think so because. You know, you got the first box. It would not be the final time the Green Lantern stood up against those less empowered. You know, for those less empowered. The evils of the universe are many. Well, that's not really, you know, addressing anything, you know, in particular. Well, you, well Threats? Yeah. What? No, again, you finish, you know. 
say what I'm going to say. My thought is threats old and forgotten worm their way back. I think that's referring to Romat and Evil Star, and I think threats new and fearsome arise and stake their claim is addressing the you know, well, I'll call them prison birds and the celestial like things. Well, the only reason why I thought looking at this is because you look at they have the evils of the universe are many and that's right over who evil star and then you go and look at those crystal things and they say threats old and forgotten worm in their way back so i don't know what the worm refers to but if evil is directly over evil star then maybe whatever these are they relate to the worm word i'm not saying it has to it's just the one thing that struck me looking at that how you know evil evil you know the evils of the universe are written directly above evil star and then they have the worm right over those things May not mean anything, but it but it just struck me as potential uh as maybe maybe something maybe something irrelevant. Might not be though. It could just be that's the way it was that's just the word that they choose to uh make stand out. But it's That's just... possible. Um I wonder if we've seen some sort of like crystal worm or something that uh you know yeah, I guess I escaped know. at some point. And this is like the next form that they'll take. Could be. Hmm. Um, and then the yeah the uh, celestial things. Now, I was looking up because I, I knew that there was no way that I was going to find these like crystal, you know, bird prison bird things. Uh, but the other ones looked very familiar, and I don't think that we've ever seen these guys before, but I think that there's definitely a reason why they look familiar. Um, like you said, they look like Celestials. They kind of remind me of, like, Imperiex. Yes, they do look like an Imperiex a little. Certainly the main one in the middle. Yeah. Um, but, like, by and large, like, I think the, the traits that the three of them share are that they all kind of look like they came from the source wall. Oh, you're right. That could be because we still have that we still have the ongoing issue with some of the things that escaped from the 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 Titans and including that thing that including that thing that escaped from escaped out into our universe that uh has never really been resolved from Godhead. So that that's that is probably another thing that that would, that's a good catch actually because that's something you you pretty much could take to the bank take to the bank that Robert Venditti plans on revisiting since he's the one who helped put that into motion. So, yeah, yeah you're right. It could be something related to the, the Titans of the Source Wall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's basically what they look like. But, um, wait a second. Threats old and forgotten worm their way back. Could those be something from leftover from um, the Lost Army type series? May oh you mean like like the tech the tech that was being used that they were or, they were atta- well, they was attacking them and stuff that was which you which we think kind of gave birth to relics draining of the, the emotional spectrum tech maybe maybe that, that, that there was something like that that might look familiar I'm just trying to think um, well I'm thinking more along the lines of like when the, the when the Green Lanterns were like trying to save everybody weren't they able to save like a ship's worth of people. I think so. I I mean, like, we don't really know because, you know, all of a sudden the Green Lanterns were basically, like, just back, right? Yes. So they never really addressed that too much. Um, 
but these could be like you know some sort of threat from the previous universe. Um, I don't know, but I think it's going to be a lock that they're prisms, so the Green Lantern rings will have a challenge of actually affecting them. Um, yeah, so then next we go to the, the double page where all of the, uh, the X rings are basically flying out. Um, yeah, that X that, you know, the just power, like, the, the uh, power ring symbol. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, like, I'm very curious as to see like where that's going to go because, I think, well, you know, kind of tying into what's going on with the Green Lanterns book, like, they they kind of explain where the original Volthoom power ring ring came from, and I don't think that that's a direction that Volthoom actually wants to go in again. Oh, yeah, as in, as in what, as in First Lantern Volthoom? Yes. Yes. They do. Yes, they do. Make, they do kind of make. They do kind of give you. They don't go into great detail yet, but they did. But in the art, basically the origin of Volthoom issue, which is another one we'll be dealing with at some point, hopefully, <laughs> that they do make it clear that his that he does he does have a role or a tie-in with the Volthoom related to powering, but it's not one in the same being. And correct, and you are correct that he's that he was not really interested in doing business or going in the direction that, that Volthoom. Powering Volthoom wanted to wanted to go into. Yeah. So I mean, like by that, you know, by that logic, you would have to think that these are going to be something else completely. But it's a great concept, though. I mean, it's an intriguing concept. Yeah. I really am wondering, like, what the hell is going to distinguish these rings from all the others now. Right. Because, uh, you know, at this point, like, I'm all for more rings just because, like, it's just a concept that I love. It's just that it's starting to get to the point where, okay, well, what's this next power going to be? You know, like, yep. I everybody's waiting for, our, like, you know, the Brown Lantern core, but, <laughs> you know, like, that's not going to happen. But, like, they are still making new rings that just kind of, like, you know, okay, well, this one's going to be able to tap into any power, and this one's going to be able to tap into any power, but differently, I, you know. Yes. Like, it, it's. Yeah, kind of like the difference between the ultimate ring and the phantom ring, you know? How they, yeah, exactly. How, how they, they have given you a slight, a, they have given you a variation on it, I'll get you you got to give some credit that at least in the Planet of the Apes crossover, they have given you some some kind of explanation for why those rings don't exactly all do the same thing. Right. But it is a similar concept, certainly. So you're right. We're yeah. kind of – it's yeah. I agree. I, I'm a fan of rings too, but you don't want – but that will just feed, feed the uh, – Feed the ring haters if you keep coming up with, you know, the the, the core of grouchiness and things like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, I, you know, and I think that there are definitely more directions that they can go in. Like, that power that the, um, oh, God, what was that religious sect from oh, hold on. the 
last, uh, you know, I guess before, uh, in the, in the new 52, it was like, you know, the, the latter part of the, the new 52. And they used that energy that was like kind of bluish. Oh, you mean the, uh, the, as I just drew a blank, I had it on the tip of my tongue. Uh, begins with a P or an S or something like that. Uh, the one with the Guardian was the, the high, was the, uh, Oh, I can't believe it's it's embarrassing. Yeah. I'll find. I'll I'll get it. It, it really is embarrassing it for is. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like you know, something like that, where that energy also kind of seemed to be prevalent in the um, the Lost Army. You know, I guess it was the sequel. I I, I really draw a blank on those those two books but uh, the two, two uh mini series but um yeah i mean like that energy has popped up a couple of times before and it's not really you know the emotional spectrum but it's definitely something it's almost like an anti emotional spectrum you know kind of thing that like draws emotions from things the pale bishop and the pale vicars that's the one oh yeah the paling, paling yeah yep. Yeah, paling energy, they haven't really defined that exactly. So I could definitely get behind them giving that more of a definition, like, later on and, you know, and giving that a core. I mean, with, like, the Volthoom rings, like, these power ring type rings are, like, you know, they're really cool looking and I'm very intrigued, but I mean, like, they're going to have to be different than the Green Lantern Corps. Otherwise, what's the point? Absolutely. So. And then we have the War of Light sequel, we'll call it. And, I mean, like, interesting things to note in this. There's no uh, Kyle Rayner that we can see. But that's probably just to kind of hide what's going to be happening soon with him. Well, what already has yeah, happened. Yeah, I, I know I know what you mean. I'm trying to I'm trying to see if I'm trying to see if there's any place that, that I think that he's hidden in here. I don't I think Oh shoot. They're on uh they're on the Black Lantern homeworld. Yeah. It looks like they're on the Black Lantern homeworld with those spikes shooting up. Could be. Um, the only Blue Lantern is Saint Walker. So, that's not good. No, that doesn't bode well. There's uh, there's a few uh, Star Sapphires. Um, you know, like there's a few up close and a couple more in the background, so... They're still around. Um, interesting, I, and I, I probably just a coloring issue, but uh, Sora is kind of shooting her yellow ring at a star sapphire, and it's bouncing off kind of orangey. I, I wonder if that's you know anything or nothing. But uh, no, our killer, right? Uh, I didn't notice. 
You know, I didn't notice him. But, I mean, you know, they could easily write that off as, like, okay, well, he's, like, you know, right next to everybody. True. But there is uh, Rotlop Fan. He's getting a lot of action these days. Yeah. Right, he should. <laughs> long overdue. Oh. Yeah, pretty cool. It is cool. And, and let's be honest, we never really did. We never have truly gotten the War of Light. Not the way, yeah. not the way it was ever kind of set up to be. We never have, we never had gotten an all-out, whether it's an all-out war from like every, basically every color for itself or an all-out war between, you know, different colors and cores aligning with themselves to fight the others. We've, we've never really gotten that, so. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, at the end of this issue does leave me questioning a little bit about how this old woman has retained a Green Lantern ring, you know, and she keeps it in a, in a box up on the shelf. Like, um, shouldn't you have passed that on to somebody or at least be patrolling a little bit more often? You know what I mean? Well, maybe the universe is in a better place right now, even though based on her scaring the shit out of her grandkids, yeah. probably not. <laughs> At a moment's notice, we could all be wiped clean. <laughs> because you could die tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. But there's no point worrying about it. This ring, this ring and this bottle of prunes will keep you good for the rest of your life. All 40 cycles. That's right. Um, yeah, I, you know, so, I, I think it would be interesting, well, I, I'm not going to talk about it, because you guys haven't discussed it on the show yet, so. What was it related to? Kyle Rayner. But. If you want we'll to discuss, we'll I mean, it's going to be like, it's going to be like, a, but if we're lucky and get this out timely, it's still going to be like what, like about, it's going to be at least what? One going to be almost two two issues of Hal in the core by, uh, before since Kyle's change. I mean, everybody plus plus that change was one hundred percent telegraphed because of that stupid. I mean, it's kind of a cool cover, but it's stupid from the point of view that it ruined any kind of ex- surprise. <laughs> no, so, no, because okay. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, this is already you know these issues have already come out, but you know we haven't. Well, you guys haven't discussed it on the show. When they, they um, Kyle basically becomes a Green Lantern again, and I'm not going to go into the you know Specifics. the details on yeah. that. Yeah, but the way that they solicited it, I be- I'm almost positive that they said that you know Kyle had a choice to make whether or not he was going to be a White Lantern or a Green Lantern again. And when they solicited that cover, it kind of seemed like, okay, well, maybe he's just trying it on for size, you know, and then he's going to go have an adventure, but maybe he, you know, end up choosing, you know, the white ring again. So they, you know, like, I, I think that there was still some kind of plausible deniability on that one. Now, that said, he does go back to, you know, being a Green Lantern and I just thought that it would be an interesting concept if he became like a Black Lantern wielder, similar to the way that 
um, what's his face, uh, Black Hand does it, but like with an actual black ring, so that maybe he can. I don't know. I don't like. I don't even know what they would do, but it, like it just would be interesting to see how the White Lantern handled also, you know, maneuvering with a Black Lantern ring. You'd have Kyle fans going crazy. You'd have half the fans that would be happy that he's special again, and the other half, oh, they're ruining him again. Yeah. <laughs> that percentage of that percentage of Kyle fans, not all Kyle fans, certainly that percentage that you just can't make happy no matter what he does <laughs> or what you do with him. Well, I I, I do like him being special. like the unique, yeah, the unique Lantern, but. But it's hard uh, to you know, but it's hard to make people happy with how you make them unique because there's a because there's a certain part of that fan base that's never that really will would never ne- will never truly be happy unless he was the only Green Lantern again, which is probably absolutely very very unlikely to ever happen again in our lifetime in a real continuity, other than maybe a momentary story where it gets undone by the end. <laughs> Listen, Mark, not in this universe. <laughs> But I mean that. I mean maybe in like a parallel universe. Yeah, that could be. It could be like an Elseworlds story or something. Exactly. Yeah. So for Very an cool, issue, cool. yeah, I just mean an ongoing series in our life in in, in this un in, you're right in this universe where Kyle is he's not going to be the only Green Lantern again for a thousand different reasons. But yeah, yeah, so. uh, yeah, yeah. That ship has sailed. Yep. Um. Yeah, and, the one and it was thing. always and it was always going. And let's be honest, it was always going to sail because, it, as we know, after the fact, even you know, despite some of the stuff that were, was being put out there, whether on purpose, whether out of complete honesty or because they were kind of being forced to do it, even Ron Mars had was eventually going to try and plan and bring back the Green Lantern Corps. So yeah, so yeah. so it's not like it's not so it's not like it was ever really 100% the, the plan to never go back and and do it and they kind of teased you multiple times with with potentially restarting the core to begin with even during the you know the, the Mars run so i mean it was going to it was going to happen no matter what so yeah so in any case um the the one thing that i wanted to touch on and I think this is probably more to do with issue 12, but it also is some of the things that they say in issue 13. The, like, the level that Jon Stewart is at in terms of, like, you know, well, just, just one of the things that um, uh, Somar said about uh, Jon Stewart, let's see, where was it? Uh, there was, the, the leader was Jon Stewart of Earth. When he commanded, the others listened. In later years, John would call me friend. He was the noblest man I've ever known. Now, like, okay, so I haven't read everything, and I don't keep as close an eye on these books as I used to, but I mean, like, to say that John Stewart was the noblest is just kind of like, really? Jon Stewart? He's the noblest? That's the title that you have for him? But even more so than that, like, his leading style, I feel like in these books, it's almost like they're trying to tell you so much that he is the leader. You know, like, they keep on trying to reinforce it, and the stuff that he does to actually try and lead, like, I don't buy it. Like, I don't find it convincing. 
you know, and I mean, maybe it's just me, but like, like, you know, um, what you call it? Uh, here, here's uh, an example. Um, you know, lanterns, here's the sit rep, which again, you know, like, I, I, I don't even understand why he's saying that to the other lanterns. It's like, you know, this is a term that they've never used before, you know, until him. It is, it's almost like, you know, if, if, Hal Jordan just one day, you know, took over the core and was like, okay, everybody, here's the Beeble babble. You know, like, <laughs> it's it's him just using, like, you know, something that I guess means something to people that are in the armed forces and nobody else. And then he says, this is the most lawless and hostile territory in the universe. We're up against Larfleas, the most insane lantern to ever put on a ring. If you die here, you're his prisoner forever, like these poor orange souls. You know, like, it's such a non-inspiring story, you know, like a speech. It's almost like, you know, it sounds like, you know, somebody trying to come up with what they think is an inspiring speech that really isn't. Um, and then uh, what was the, the other thing that he says? Um then dig deep, everyone. Yeah. I'm ordering you not to die. And you won't let the lantern next, you know, fighting next to you die either. It's like the stuff that he comes up with is so just like trite and cliche. And, you know, like, you know, it's like it's like listening to a leader from like like a, a crappy, you know, old movie where somebody's got to, like, rile up the people to go, you know, and fight the bad guy or whatever like that. And, you know, and it never comes across believable then either. So it's like, they... It, it was slightly more believable slightly more believable when Cap gave a kind of version of that in Ultron. <laughs> Walk it off! <laughs> yeah. But then again, it fits your na your narrative well, because Cap is kind of from that era, so it's more believable anyway if he says it. Well, I mean, like, he has a commanding presence. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm only kidding. I think Cap is, comes across as a more natural leader anyway. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, Cap is, you know, Cap is someone that I would say is, like, noble. It's almost as if, like, they are trying to make Jon Stewart, like, the Captain America of the Green Lantern Corps. That's, that's like, 100% what they are trying to do. And I just, I just never buy it. So... Like, you know, I, they have to do a better job. Like, you know, it's show me him being a better leader. Don't just like, you know, enforce it with what he's saying, which is usually bad. It's like, you know, make it more believable. Like, you know, have him, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what you would do to make me believe that Jon Stewart is, you know, the leader. But, you know, like when, when Hal was the leader, it's like he had, like, this charismatic, like, I'm going to jump right in, everybody follow me. And it's like, and everybody followed him because they saw their leader do it, you know? And then, you know, you've got Hal, and he's just, he's taking out bad guys, and he's like, yeah, everybody keep it up, you know, pour on the willpower, you know? It's like, and it's like, it's not so much that he's giving these trite speeches so often, he's just kind of like flying into things and doing it and getting shit done. You know, like, I feel like that's missing from John. 
they definitely have different styles, there's no doubt. And, and even when Hal was the leader, the good thing is we did see Hal kind of adjust a little. And he did kind of adjust a little bit where he was. He actually did come up with some strategies and plans. From It's not natural to him. It's not second nature to him. And it's not his a role he's best suited for. But at least they did do a little bit where he did kind of grow a little bit more into that role because he realized sometimes you, you know, at least as far as the overall the overall group, you have to, you know, actually come up with a plan and and, and do something different, even if you're going to be flying in half-assed all the time. Yeah. You, you don't want the entire group flying in that way. Yeah, well, I think John Stewart, like, he's he is good with, like, the strategy stuff. And, like, and every time they have him, like, being the the, stra- the strategist, it's like that I buy instantly. Because, like, like, um... I think it was issue uh, 11 where he comes up with the plan because they realize that it's Larflees that kidnapped them, you know, and he realizes that, okay, well, Larflees, you know, he may be a madman, but, you know, he's... But there's a method uh, to his madness. Exactly. Yeah. So he figures out exactly how to manipulate Larflees to get them free, which, and you know, like that... I thought was great. You know, that's an excellent use of Jon Stewart. But I mean, like, you know, him just yelling out, you know, cliche military terms that don't mean anything to me, you know, and have everybody just kind of fall in line because, you know, they have to for the story. I I don't buy that. I can understand that. I I do think at times they're trying too hard with Jon Stewart myself. So I think... And trying, and also trying too hard to make it to try to get the point across. He's a good leader, and Hal was a bad leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that, that's yeah. It's like, well, we can't actually show John Stewart be a good leader, so we better really play up the fact that you know everybody says that he's a much better leader. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's garbage, but. There's always going to be stuff in these books that I won't like. You're not the only one, trust me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I bet. But anyway, so I think we're good on book talk. You want to take a break? Sure. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk some pop culture stuff, and actually, which ties into a little bit of toy talk, too, for a change, so so we get we get our toy fix, even with the greatest toy podcast going the way of the dinosaur, <laughs> so uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Let's all go to the lobby. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. <laughs> The end of the world is approaching. Soon the planet will be engulfed in a nuclear Armageddon. And the only people that can prevent this from happening are considered to be the greatest villains of all time. The only thing standing in their way is the Justice League. In 2005, uh, wait a second. Are, are we sure about that date this time? Yeah, it's 2005. We're sure this time. Let's just be perfectly clear. I hate all of you so much. Okay, good. Got that. All right. In 2005, 
DC Comics began publishing a 12-issue bi-monthly comic called Justice. Written by Jim Kruger with art by Alex Ross and Doug Braithwaite, this series was essentially a Super Friends for adults. And now another group of Super Friends has come together to discuss all 12 issues in a podcasting crossover called J.L. May 2017. The excitement begins on the April 30th episode of the Fire and Water podcast and continues into Supermates, the Idle Head of Diabolu podcast, Views from the Long Box, the Pulp to Pixel podcast, the Lantern cast, the Shazam cast, Comic Reflections, the Silver and Gold podcast, the Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, and Justice's First Dawn, J.L. May. 2017. Last year, they covered the beginning of the Justice League. This year, they discuss and review the League's toughest battle. The coverage begins on April 30th on the Fire and Water Podcast, located at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Alrighty, so we are back. So we're gonna talk a little bit of a little bit of movie trailer talk and a little bit of toy talk, which kind of relates to the tr- to a trailer talk too. So how do you how so where do you want to go with this first? How do you want to uh, do you want to do the toy leading into the trailer into the other trailer? Do you want to do or do you, it's up to, or let's start with Thor because I did not rewatch that and I yeah it'll be a quicker it'll be a quick trust yeah I yeah. think in general there's 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 some cool stuff briefly but it's brief to talk about with Thor. yeah yeah all right so we're going to talk about the Thor Ragnarok teaser trailer that came out what the end of last week right it was the end of last week I have no conception of time I think it is cuz the Star Wars cuz the Star Wars thing came out over the weekend too so the, and, and I think Thor came out a couple of days before uh, the thing that struck me the things that struck me about Thor. First of all, I liked. I think Kate Blanchett looked great as Hela. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And I don't. And not just authentic. She looked like attractive as as, as Hela, which you know usually, usually Kate Blanchett doesn't do much for me, but somehow <laughs> somehow she looked. You know, not that that's a big criteria in the world. I'm, it's not. I'm just saying. It just it, it struck me as odd, and that's why it made an impression on me. But she looked good with the dark hair. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and I like the fact that they obviously, at least part of her costume design, at least when she's in hell, looks like the classic, you know, the classic original design of her costume. That was cool. Mm-hmm. The fact that she was able to stop Thor's hammer in mid-throw and basically destroy it. Yeah, uh, like that was that was sick. Um, I mean, like right there, like you establish her as like a mega powerhouse. Yep. Uh, you see also. Well, also, I mean, like, if they destroy Thor's hammer, then that means that either he's getting another hammer, you know, or some other weapon. Right. Probably up. Probably the odds are Odin will put it back together again by the end of the movie, or put a hammer back together again. Whether it looks exactly the same or not, it could be up in the air. But I, yeah. but I think Odin, when he's pro- probably will be restored to the throne by the end, and he'll put and he'll put Thor's hammer back together so yeah that that part that part is cool 
I do like the fact, you know, Thor more or less being kind of like thrown out, being ex, kind of like being exiled, and then how they capture him and they shit, you know, they buzz down his hair and everything. And I do like the helmet. I do like the fact that they finally seemingly possibly have given him a helmet he could wear that is close enough to a Thor helmet where it makes fans happy, but doesn't, but isn't goofy enough or impractical enough, or why would he be wearing it? <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. Uh, you do get to see Loki a lot in this movie and some in, and in a lot of different places too. So it really makes you wonder what his role is. A roles, it's Loki, so there's probably multiple roles. As far as first he's working against Thor probably and then working with Thor or, or vice versa. Uh, so I did like that, but but let's be honest, the major the coolest the coolest part of the trailer was when when the Hulk comes charging out at him. <laughs> yeah. Just just the fact that he gets so so damn giddy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I what? know him. He's a friend from work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was that was a great line. That so you, that was one of those moments in the trailers that you go back and you watch like you know three or four times just because it's it's just a really cool <laughs> moment. And that it's a, it was an interesting style of the trailer too, because as many people pointed out, is much more in your like Guardians of the Galaxy kind of style. With the colors and even the music, kind of more along those lines, and you certainly what than what you've seen in other Thor trailers or movies. So, uh, but I, I was looking forward to this movie to begin with. It still makes it makes me look forward to it just as much now, and plus it confirms some of the rumors we heard. I mean, we had heard that his hammer was going to get destroyed, and it made sense because you knew, you know, when it was. Because it kind of balances out the equation too. When he's when he's fighting the Hulk without his hammer, that's going to be much more of an even fight. With his hammer, with his hammer, Thor pretty much always had the edge over, at least in the comic books, over always had the edge over the Hulk because of the hammer. But once the hammer was always removed, it more or less kind of was an even fight. <laughs> so it, it'll it'll be interesting. It'll also be interesting to see what Banner slash the Hulk's role really is in this whole thing. Hopefully it's not going to be kind of like a throwaway thing where he's like in it for like maybe 20 or 30 minutes of the movie and then that's it. You kind of hope that once – you kind of, I mean, Yeah, there's no way. There's no way. I hope not. I hope once he shows up in the movie that you know he's more or less there to the end of the movie and then that kind of puts those – so you kind of know where those pieces are heading into uh, the Infinity War. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what I that's, – that's what I hope. But Um – yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, I mean, Val- you know, like, Valkyrie didn't do that much for me, but we, did, but they didn't show you much of her, so it's hard to know what her role is. You know. Oh yeah, I didn't even you know notice that. Uh, what do you call it? Um, I they have to do something with uh, with Heimdall. Yeah, because he do they. That's right. They do show him, and he looks like he's got longer hair, and he's kind of like disheveled. But they also show Asgard potentially being, if not completely destroyed, greatly destroyed. So that might be, that could be real. And so that could factor into why Heimdall's looking as disheveled. And well, un- what I heard was, well, you know, because I've been looking at like the, you know, uh, theories and stuff like that, and like the best theory going right now is that he has the soul, soul stone. stone. Yep. I read that too. Um, which is why like his eyes are kind of orange and it even kind of looks like he has that stone like on his, uh, armor, you know, like there's a spot where it kind of looks like it would go. Um, 
you know, and he mentions numerous times like he can see every soul in the universe. Right. Yeah. That's that's that that's I think the most concrete uh, evidence to support that theory is is statements like that and how he how he was able to track and keep an eye on Jane Foster for that reason and things like that too. So yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So like them, I guess, removing that from him. Um, that that's probably the whole why he looks disheveled and whatnot. So. You know, I, I suspect at some point in this movie we'll see. I, like, I wonder, like, are we gonna see some of uh, Thanos in this? Have they mentioned it all? I don't think so. I don't think they've mentioned it. I would kind of suspect. I'm kind of leaning towards no, unless it's something that's gonna show up, like, in maybe in the, one of the credit scenes. I don't. Think... I, I, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like it, they kind of would have to because if Heimdall's got the stone. And Thanos is trying to get the stones. And like, I, I could kind of see if maybe somebody else, like Hela or Loki, gets the stone and, you know, ends up, like, trading it to Thanos, like, you know, later on. Or he grabs it and is like, okay, well, I can trade you later on. You know, that's that I could see. But, like, with the gauntlet, like, the gauntlet is in... Asgard, and if Asgard is, like, you know, in the midst of being destroyed or whatever, like, you know, best to grab that then before, like, you suspect uh, Odin is reinstated on the throne by the end, which I don't know that I necessarily believe that's going to happen, but, um, you know, we'll see. And then also, supposedly, Doctor Strange is going to appear in this one. Yeah, but they tease that at the end of Doctor Strange. Right. So, obviously, he should be a factor in helping them find Odin. It's just a question of when that. See, it's interesting of when that stuff, when that actually happens in the movie, because of the fact that obviously, when you see some of the scenes in the beginning, you assume is the beginning of him, beginning of the trailer, certainly of him fighting Hela, and the, the scenes on the street and the stuff with Doctor Strange, that he has long, he still has long hair. So you assume that stuff would be in the beginning of the movie. And he gets his, and he loses, you know, he gets his hair cut down somewhere in the middle of the movie because of the fact that it's obviously unless unless it's going to magically literally grow back, you know, at some point that it doesn't make a lot of sense for it to be to really work the other way. So it just makes you wonder exactly how what what Doctor Strange's role is and when it you know when you know he factors in. Um, well, here's a wild idea. Just 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 came to me. What if? You know, in that that teaser, you know, Thor is asking for his help or whatever, you know. So Doctor Strange is going to go and try and find Odin. Then Thor goes and does whatever he's going to do. And once Strange finally finds Odin, he goes to try and contact Thor and finds out that he's like, you know, a prisoner on this other planet or whatever like that. Steps in, helps him, brings him back to Earth or whatever. And it's like, well, my Thor's all just, my my hammer's all destroyed. So then, what if Strange uses the Eye of Agamotto to restore the hammer? Now, I know. So I I have heard rumors, or at least speculation, that something like that could happen too. Yeah. I did I did hear, or somebody else has expressed that idea that maybe Doctor Strange will play a role in getting the hammer put back together. So. Yeah, that probably that, that makes more sense than forging a new one. Because they're supposed to be like forged inside, you know, a star or something like that. 
That's true, but though Odin, but 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 Odin certainly could put it back together. I believe Odin could put it back together. So, but we'll see. I but but I am definitely. It definitely ramped up my enthusiasm for it, you know, a little bit more. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about it, and like out of all of the Marvel movies, I would say that probably for me personally, the most rewatchable are probably like Iron Man. Guardians and the Thor movies. That's interesting. So. Yeah, so, so certainly if every everything should point to Thor going out with a bang here. Um, that there's no reason to think that this won't be a this should be the best Thor movie. It really should be, and if it's not, then then there's going to be a problem. We shall see. We shall Moving see. on. Yes. Moving on. So uh, we just passed the Star Wars Celebration weekend. Uh, the I think it's uh, Disney World yeah, this, in, this year. Yeah, it was in Orlando. Yeah, so in Orlando this year they had uh, Star Wars Celebration, uh, bringing a whole bunch of Star Wars stars and do a bunch of panels and... Uh, a million things you can buy, tons of exclusives. We will get to that in a moment. But also, this is a prime time to unleash a new teaser trailer for Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Especially since the movie's out in December, and we have and up. Obviously, other people had seen footage in different places, but nothing's been released to the public for for, for consumption until now. So yes, they releasing the first trailer. Be curious to see how many trailers we actually get for The Last Jedi. I don't know. I don't necessarily – We, if I had to bet, I bet you we'll get one full trailer, but I don't know if we'll get two. But, I but, think we'll get two. But see, you know what? As I started saying it, I was debating it because they, they, they kind of unfortunately were going down that route of like Age of Ultron towards the end right before Star Wars was about – between Force Awakens came out that they kind of were getting – uh, Ultron E and starting to release more and more stuff, and I don't necessarily yeah. think they needed to, but we'll see. It depends. This movie supposedly has a lot of twists and turns or secrets in it, so maybe they're going to purposely want to not really keep a lot of it in the dark or leave a lot of it up in the air. I think we'll have a good idea whenever, whenever they release the full trailer. Obviously, the later into the summer, the full the first full trailer comes out, then maybe they might only go with one. But they could release a second one and just not put too much new stuff in it. Um, Do you know when uh, the D60 event is? Oh, not off the top of my head. I think it's relatively soon, but I'm not sure. So I'm just trying to I'm trying to figure out when the next trailer is going to come. Oh, wait a second. Uh, let's see. We're in April now. Yes. And Guardians comes out the 5th of May. Right. Uh, that's probably too close to give a trailer. Yeah, yeah they're not going to release anything new. This, this this trailer will be on Guardians and things like that. They're not, there won't be anything, uh... So when is the Thor movie come out? November. So that's too late. That's too late. Too late for a, too late for a new one. Uh, they could, um, you could they could get away with something they could they could get away f- with something on uh, Spider-Man. Yeah, but that's not I one know. of that you know that's not a Disney movie. Uh, what about um 
let's see. I can't remember what Disney movies are coming out this year, like actual Disney type stuff. But see, with Star Wars stuff, I think I think in general we've started to see that even though they've kind of some of the studios have kind of moved away from that from that the logical assumptions that we have about when oh they're going to have to have this trailer on this movie because it's a Warner Brothers movie and this is this is a Warner Brothers. They don't always do that. They've, I mean, no, no, I so, know, but I know you know. I, I, it, it, the it's thing cool is to, to speculate. The only reason that I say it is because, like, with Disney, like, the movies that they're putting out, like, tend to be the biggest. So, you know, like, if you want to advertise the biggest Star Wars movie, you know, like, you should advertise it with whatever your biggest movie is because it's going to get seen by the most amount of people. Um, I just – I can't remember. It's uh, – I'm trying to I'm, – I'm trying to Mulan look at – or Lion King or something like that. I'm trying to look. Well, Cars, Cars Three comes out in June, but that's to me. I don't consider that really big. Yeah. Because uh, uh, clearly, I mean, honestly, Cars is clearly the worst of the Pixar franchises. It shouldn't even be a franchise. Even the first one wasn't that good, and that had Paul Newman in it for God's sake. And they never, and they can't do, and they can't do that again. Uh, I'm just looking at. There's not. There's. There's not a whole lot of. And maybe they'll just do San Diego Comic Con again. I don't even know if they, I don't know when they're going to release it. I don't think it. To, I don't think they're going to be that gung that gung ho to release it. Super. I mean, I don't because they know they don't need to. They know. Well, they, yeah, no, they definitely don't need to. But like, it, just by like industry standards, like you want to have a trailer out, you know, at least a couple of months before your movie. I mean, like with uh, with. San Diego, like, the reason that San Diego makes sense is because, like, you're you're talking the, you know, the near end of July. Could you do me a favor and find out when that D60 is? That's what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm, having, tr- I'm having trouble finding it. Yeah. Um, um, but, I mean, like, you know, you put it out in July. That's going to get people, you know, amped up for the inevitable, you know, Force Friday event that they'll do in September again, you know, and then you put out probably the next trailer with, uh, the, the Thor movie, you know, and then there it is. That's it. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think I, I just don't know how many more. You might be right. We might get two. I still would be surprised. I'd say the midsummer is the earliest. We're actually gonna. I think we're, we would get it. I don't think we're gonna. We're not gonna get much. I think. Uh, I don't think we're gonna get much. I think they're gonna. They're gonna kind of milk it. Just. Uh, but looking at the trailer itself. Uh, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't want to lose track of that. Some. So. Obviously, the there are some there are a lot of cool things in the trailer. There's there's no doubt that which kind of follows the pattern. Everything we heard up until this point was that the movie picks up almost immediately after Force Awakens ends. There's nothing we see in this trailer in, indicates that's not the case. We see we, we see Finn still basically being being healed and and a what may be the modern version of a back-to-tank. Many people have speculated a newer technology, but his fin is, certainly appears to be not conscious at that point. We see Ray more or less wearing her same outfit that she found that she, when she found Luke. 
We see her doing some kind of training and Luke talking to her. So, you know, we do see Kylo without his mask. We seemingly see Kylo's mask destroyed. Uh, we have a very nicely edited scene, which seem, which a lot, some people, I think most people have picked up on this, that they're not the same scene, but they're edited together to make you think that it's the same scene. When you yeah. get the image, when you get this, when you get basically this, it's the same image of Luke on his knees next to R2 from a different direction. So you see what he and R2 are looking at. When you see the burning, you assume the burning remains of his temp, of his Jedi temple interlocked with the scene of Phasma and Stormtroopers marching, but they're, they're clearly marching indoors because you can see metal. They're marching on the floor. So it's, it's not – those things are not related, but they're cut together to make you think at a first glance that they might be related. Uh, now, wait a second. You think that's Luke on his knees? Well, that's Luke – I think it's Luke about – if he's not on his knees, about to get to his knees. I think that's Luke in R2 from the same thing we we saw in Ray's vision the first time. We're now seeing it from the different perspective. Mm. Because it would make sense. I mean, I don't see what else really it could be at this point because it's I, it's, a, it's, yes. an astro, it's an astromech and it's somebody wearing a cloak and they're watching something burn and you know that things were burning when – when uh, Luke and when Luke reached out and reached out for comfort and for support with his metallic hand, with his cyborg hand, you know, and and Ray's vision. So yeah, I think it's the same. And and this could very well just be again, probably is just another Ray's having another vision and Ray seeing more of the same, but maybe from from a different perspective. But I think that's what it is. I think it's showing whatever whatever the Knights of Ren and Kylo did to the to his Jedi Temple. Now you're seeing it from what Luke and R2 actually saw. Right before, you know, Luke kind of said, that's it, I've had enough of this, I'm gone. <laughs> uh, Which, of course, leads into the probably the, the most relevant part of the whole movie was that, is that part of dialogue at the end that, you know, I, own, well, I only know one truth, that uh, it's time for the Jedi to end. Which, of course, is, could, be, could be interpreted multiple ways. Yeah. It seemingly, I mean, first let's look, look under the, let's look on, at it as if it really, the dialogue is actually... And it looks like it might be because it looks like because you can see I think Luke's move when he's lips his lips move when he's kind of walking out of the, that entrance to the cave, so that dialogue that's being overlaid might actually be what he's saying in that scene. But let's just say it is that he's saying it at that moment in time. Obviously, that would be early on in his relationship with Ray. So he may very well be at a point which is why he's in exile that that he thinks that the whole thing that there's no point. That this doesn't, that it shouldn't continue anymore, and then he changes, and then he ch- he changes his mind from interacting with Ray because clearly Ray's being trained. Mm-hmm. But it also could mean, as it's being speculated, when Ray when he tells Ray to reach out and what do you see, and he and she mentions the light, and that's when you see Le- the back of Leia, and you kind of hear a little bit of the "Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi" quote, and then you hear the, then uh, you see the dark, you know, the darkness, which is you see Kylo Kylo Ren's mask destroyed and you hear vader breathing that then she says the you know the, the balance i mean that's in the, in the, when the, you see all the books you see the books highlighted on the bookcase including the one that some a gloved hand whether it's luke's or not t- is, is 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 touching and that's when luke says you know that was something to the effect that you know that there's just so much more that it could just be that what but that what Luke has rediscovered essentially is that what the Jedi, where the Jedi were going with their teachings, was not how it originally started, and that the Jedi, as we know it, have to end. But that doesn't mean that Force users or 
going forward have to end. That basically there has to be something something better than what was. That there has to be a, ba a balance in going for That there can't be the Sith. There can't be the Jedi. There has to be basically one unified concept where the where the light and the dark kind of exist together. Kind of like the gray <laughs> the gray Jedi concept, if you will. So yeah. so it's pretty much. I, I think it's safe to say it's probably one of those two explanations. Either Luke is just completely withdrawn and disgruntled and doesn't want to do this anymore, and Ray is the one who eventually he sees something in Ray that brings him back to wanting to train, or he just is against what the jet what he what the Jedi supposedly stood for, and now that he's found enough artifacts to prove that this is not what the Jedi were founded on, and that. That he has to, which technically would not go against anything Yoda said to him, because all Yoda said to him was pass on what you have learned. Mm -hmm. So he didn't. He didn't. Tech, we've always we always assumed he was he was meant to restart the Jedi Order or bring it back. But all technically Yoda told him to do was pass on what you have learned. And now if, you, if Luke learns or rediscovers that the Jedi really have lost their way over over thousands of years, and this these teachings here that he found, if this is what was supposed to be or what, what originally was. That that's going to be what he teaches, and what he teaches Ray, and what goes forward. So, but I think it's it was a good trailer. I mean, as usual, people the hyperbole people get is nuts. How going crazy about oh, it's the best trailer. Ever. It it was a teaser trailer. It did what it was supposed to. It made you think. It ended at a perfect beat because because it leaves you questioning what that means. Uh, but it wasn't. But you didn't get. And it was cool to hear Luke actually talk since you hadn't heard him talk in the new trilogy at all. <laughs> Yeah. So that part was cool, and you look forward to seeing Luke and and things like that. So it did exactly what it should do for you know. So. Hmm. I think you, you pretty much you covered everything. I okay. think. Okay. <laughs> I I mean, um, for the most part, I mean, I I, I agree. It's probably going to be the Grey Jedi concept. Um, you know, because I one of the uh, what do you call it? You know, concepts that we've seen them and trying to impress over and over again is bringing balance to the force. Right, and what that actually means. Yeah, you know, like we've always thought that it's like, okay, well, for every you know light, there has to be a dark or whatever like that. But I mean, like you know, this makes a lot more sense. You have to literally bring balance to the force, you know, and use both at the same time, which has always been like the you know more interesting idea to me no I, I yeah i i agree and then it, and then it's kind of like because then you have a concept that you can introduce if you want to that you look at kylo who i don't particularly like but you have kylo and then luke could eventually say something to kylo that basically what you did was wrong but what you felt wasn't the fact that you were torn between the light and the dark that there really wasn't anything wrong with that yeah, that that yeah. concept is that that is what it's supposed to it's supposed to be. Kind of like, and I go back to I have said this repeatedly. I've gone back to this that an injustice to the actual movie Return of the Jedi was the fact that there was stuff, and it clearly must have been in the script at one point that's still in the novelization. And you have that part in when Obi Wan and Luke are talking on Dagobah. Luke, Obi Wan makes it crystal clear to Luke. That the the final test, the ultimate test of a Jedi, is when is is when you take that first step towards the dark side, but you realize it, you reject it, and you step back. And that was the thing he said that Anakin could never do. He could never step back once he took that first step. He could never really step back. 
And that makes the ending of Jedi make perfect sense, because that's what Luke did. He used the dark side to beat Vader, but he realized it, he rejected it, and that's why he could throw the saber away and say and say what he said. That makes sense. Without that little part in the movie, you confu- you really, it doesn't make a lot of sense, because Yoda told you, once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. That left, it leaves out little bits, little tidbits. So the more knowledge you get based on, you know, it, it, it kind of frames things differently. So I think finding out more about what the Jedi were, you know, originally, you know, how they originally, what the original concept was, and maybe what set, what, where, what caused the actual in real canon now, maybe, which might change what happened in the past, what caused the split between the Jedi and the Sith, and that that might make an explanation for really bringing, you know, bringing balance to the Force. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mostly, I just want to know who Snoke is. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious to know, besides Ray's, you know, background of of, of who who Snoke who Snoke really is. I, I am I am curious about that. Um. <clears throat> you know, I think that it's probably meant to kind of throw you off, but the fact that Ray reaches out and she sees the light side and it's Leia, and then the dark side and it's Kylo, like. I, I mean, I definitely don't think that that's actually what's, you know, the images she's seeing when she, you know, reaches out. Um, you know, I think those are basically just other scenes in the movie that they cobbled together to make it look like that. But, I mean, like, that would... That would be an interesting, um, what do you call it? Tie-in, or, or, or uh, it would be, uh, it would be relevant, think- relevant potentially to, you know... As in who she is? Yeah, like, to the idea that, like, you know, she is, like, the missing twin that, you know, either nobody knows about or everybody was made to forget about. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 I find, I find that interesting from the point of view from you look at all the, and I, it's a good point because of all the analysis and different videos I've watched, I really hadn't seen anybody point, try, when they're breaking down scene by scene, pointing out the potential relevance of the light and the dark potentially being, the, you know, again, the sides of the same family, and she's seeing that. Does that mean again that she's tied? You know, she's she's tied to it. Uh, yeah. And, and and it's again interesting that maybe maybe this is just because of where Luke is right now. That Luke is a lot more disgruntled than he was. But it's also interesting she's seeing the light, but she's not seeing Luke, and she's not seeing Yoda, and she's mm-hmm. not seeing Obi Wan. But she's saying Leia. So does that does I mean does that give more credence to the theory that Leia, that Han and Leia really were her parents, and she was hidden away, you know, for whatever reason? Yeah. You know. So I. It, but I find. But it could, like you said, it could very well have been. It probably was done just to make people think that. But I just found it interesting that nobody. And I watched several. You know, I, I'm sure some people have said it, but based on comments and just watching different reviews online, I hadn't. Nobody had said that as, as throwing out theories or picking up on it. They just broke down the scene, literally what they saw, but they didn't necessarily try to give that interpretation, which it could very, you know. So. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it could could, it could go either way. Uh, I think that I, I just kind of feel like. They are twins. Well, you know? I don't know if I would. I, it just, it just. It they could be brother and so... they could be brother and sister. I don't know if I don't necessarily know if age-wise if they really could be. If it's believable, they could be twins. But I, I do think they certainly well, could be brother and sister. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I, well, re- regardless, I mean, because they could age differently, it's out in space, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, I mean, like, it's just so, um, it's just so, like, in line with Star Wars, with, like, the role of, like, you know, twins and whatnot. Because, you know, it, it's popped up numerous times before, you know, and, like, just the concept of twins and bringing balance to the Force and... Well, in any case, um, is is that all we have to say about this? I think so. Do you want to? We can roll into the last little last little tie into Star Wars that we want to talk about before we wrap up. Yeah. So you have the exclusive toys for for the uh, Star Wars celebration. Oh, and by the way, uh, we were saying it wrong. It's not D sixty. It's D twenty three. That's why I couldn't find it. That way it would make and, sense. Yeah. It's July 14th and 16th, so like a week prior to San Diego or something. That, yeah, that's probably when you'll see a full trailer, probably. Good good, so, good chance of that. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, there were a ton of different exclusives, but, uh, what do you call it, the more sought-after ones were the ones by the Funko, you know, company. And you had, like, a, a bunch of pops, and I think there were, like, a couple of Hikaris. I, I can't remember if there were any Dorbs or not. Uh, and then there were a couple of Plush. But the pops, you know, like, it, it's almost as if, like, every major retailer had an exclusive or at least one. Uh, GameStop, I think, had, like, two or three of them. Um but, I mean, like, they were all fairly difficult to get. Some, some of them were, you know, obtainable. Like, uh, Toys R Us had uh, Admiral Thrawn, uh, and that one was, like, up online for, like, 24 hours, basically. That, if you were paying attention, you could have gotten one. Um, and then there were others that did not go so well. <laughs> Like the holographic Qui-Gon Jinn. Now, you know, like, this is one of those things that you really kind of have to question the, I, I just, just the, the thought process behind the whole thing. Qui-Gon Jinn, he existed prior to this only as an exclusive for, was it New York Comic Con or, like Kamikaze or something like that. Something. I'm, I'm trying to remember which one he was, but yeah, he wasn't exclusive. I just don't, off the top of my head, I don't remember which one he was for. Yeah, so uh, he was exclusive. He was not a shared exclusive. He was a, like a numbered, uh, you know, convention exclusive, sold out at the convention. And, you know, like when you're talking about Qui-Gon Jinn, you know, and they make like, say, I don't know, 2000. Even 3,000. I think it was less than 3,000. But that's a pretty well-known, you know, character in the Star Wars mythos. And also, it's Liam Neeson. So that's one that's going to sell, you know, regardless. So a lot of people wanted to add a Qui-Gon Jinn to their collection. And, you know, that wasn't going to work out. Prices skyrocketed. And, you know, that's still a difficult one to get. Fast forward to now... And Funko puts out a holographic Qui-Gon Jinn exclusive for Celebration. Now, if you were not at Celebration, this was a shared exclusive with Target. And Target basically just completely shit the bet on this one. 
what happened was, you know, they sent about six to each store. I think that's about, you know, roughly the numbers. I, and I think that there were some stores that just didn't get any. But uh, roughly speaking, each Target store received six of these holographic Qui-Gon Jinns. And they were instructed to not sell them until, uh, I want to say, it was a after... Mon- it was a Monday, wasn't it? Was it Monday? Yeah, it was the Monday after Easter Sunday. Uh, so there was a, a, a street date that they could not break, uh, so that, you know they would not even ring up in the system. Uh, so yeah, so they were not supposed to be sold till Monday. People were calling up Thursday, and you know they were told this. So nobody, you know, really tried on Friday, which is when they decided to move things up and allow them to be sold. So, like, anybody that was, like, calling up and was given the idea that, okay, yeah, it's going to go Monday, okay, fine. And then all of a sudden, they just completely sold out on the Friday, and, you know, the people that really wanted it just couldn't get it or whatever. There's been tons of stories of, like, the Target employees kind of, you know, hoarding these and, you know, taking them themselves and the worst part about it, though, because, I mean, you know, that's all pretty bad, but that's also kind of par for the course. Right. Especially with the yep. hot bunkos now. And anything that's, you know, kind of worth anything with the, you know, when you when you have a Target store, you have to think about how many people work there. You know, you have a whole bunch of people that work in a Target store. So even if somebody doesn't work in the electronics department where they sell these or the toy department where they sell these, like, you know, the guy that, you know, stocks out home goods or is a cashier or whatever, he has access to that back room, you know? So you figure for every Target store, if there's like, I don't know, conservatively speaking, 100 employees – which, you know, there's got to be more. But say there's 100 employees. All you need is one that really wants those exclusives, and they're going to figure out a way to get them. So, you know, you have that, you know, that kind of thing working against you. And, I, you know, like you have some people that just don't know or care or anything about them. So, like, when somebody comes in, it's like, oh, yeah, I want six of them. You know, they sell them no problem, whatever. So, yeah, you got to ton of problems. Also, it's Target. These people are working retail. It's not like the greatest paying job. So if you could scoop up six Qui-Gon Jinns and, you know, flip them for, I think, uh, some, I, I was seeing prices of like $70 just the other day and, you know, the auctions weren't even over yet. So, I mean, like these things are going for, you know, some okay money and they're probably going to be going for better money very, very soon. Uh, given the news that we just got, but I'll get to that. Now, uh, the worst part about this, as I was saying, was that <sighs> Target Online, their their Twitter account, you know, was answering like uh, I want to say on the uh, on the average of like you know fifty questions an hour, basically, of people asking when the exclusives were going to go on sale, like the holographic Qui-Gon Jinn on Target.com. And Target would not specify an exact time, but they said that it would go up for sale Easter Sunday 
like early. And so you had like tons of people that just did not go to bed the <laughs> night before Easter. I kid you not, because I happen to be up fairly late just doing other things, and like I'm like reading comments and things like that, and I'm following it because I don't really care so much about getting a Qui Gon Jin, but I do really, you know, I find those kind of stories of other people hunting rather compelling. So, um, yeah, so I, like, I was up pretty late, and people were like, you know, is it going to happen now? Is it going to happen now? And they're refreshing and refreshing, and, you know, it didn't happen. <laughs> and so I go to bed, and I wake up, and, you know, I checked the Target page also to see if they were selling it yet. And it was like, the image was up, and... Like, it was like, you know, we're temporarily out of stock or whatever. It's like basically their placeholder message. So nothing had actually been sold. You know, so, like, you've got these people that just didn't go to bed, and now it's like, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning. They're still awake, and these things never went on sale. And, pe you know, people are, like, trying to decipher. It's like, okay, well, Target said that they're going to go on sale early, which basically, like, you have to figure that's going to be before 10 a.m., because anything like that is not early. So then 10 o'clock rolls around, and, like, there's still none for sale. And then Target starts, like, their Twitter is like, um, we don't have any to sell on our website. And, like, people are just, like, flipping out. It's like, well, wait a second. First you told us that these things were not going to be on sale in the stores until Monday, and then you sold them on Friday. And then you told us that you were going to put them online on Sunday early, and now you're telling us that there's nothing available at all. The miscommunication on this was, like, unbelievable. And they're just, like, trying to say, like, well, we didn't know how many we were going to get, and they just kind of, like, didn't really care what kind of issues this would cause, and just said, oh, well, sorry. Uh, and that's basically it. And so they're not going to be getting any restocks. There will be no more Qui-Gon Jinns. So the price of these figures is going to definitely jump. Uh, it, it's just like, there's, every once in a while you have a, like a, a horror show like this of, you know, retail stories and things like that. And I, this isn't the first time that it's happened to Target. It's definitely not going to be the last time that it happens to Target. <laughs> This is going to, you know, it's going to happen again because, like, you know, it's a toy and it's one tiny little toy and each store is only selling six. Target as a corporation really doesn't care too much about this. It's like, it's almost as if, like, they're doing you a favor by carrying it at all and they're not going to change their thinking on that. So, you know, once the next exclusive comes around, that's going to be hard to get, or they only get limited stock. Uh, it, it's the same exact thing, you know, like if it's something you really want, you better make sure that you're just at the store, kind of just bribing the people that work there, you know? You got to like, you know, gr grease, the, uh, grease the wheels a bit and, oh, yes. uh, you know, um, make friends with them or something, but... Uh, or are you going to pay? You're going to pay on the secondhand market, and that's uh, 
that's essentially the story of Qui-Gon Jinn. And a sad story it is. Yeah. It is a nice-looking pop. It is. It definitely is. I, you know, like, I saw somebody had a photo of all the Star Wars pops that they've made so far in that holographic form. And it's a cool collection, you know? They've got, um... It's Qui-Gon, obviously. There's Yoda. There's a Darth Vader. And there's two other ones that I just can't think of, but... Uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's pretty cool looking. I, and I, I, like I said to you, if I was gonna get one, it would basically just be to paint to look like a regular Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> and that would just be painful. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, especially now. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's just kind of like really weird how you know how difficult they're making it to get a Qui-Gon Jinn pop. Yeah, I I know I I some things just don't make some things just don't make a lot of sense and it's just and yeah they really don't they don't really care or else they would certainly make go out of their way to try to make it not as blatantly impossible for the majority of you know regular fans to track to track down these figures because we know yeah. it's not going to be you're you're really going to have to walk you know walk into you know what to be able to just happen to walk into a store and hey there it is oh yeah and yeah and at this point they're you know they're pretty much just sold out forever everywhere it's it's just just a memory now (laughs) yeah so i i can't even imagine how they would do it any better you know it's just so it's it's almost like it's unpoliceable you know the the amount of resources that they'd have to put in to making it so that the employees you know can't hoard these away and buy them before anybody else or you know anything else it just it really requires way too many resources yes. than they really care to go into the the real issue is the is the the low amount of stock it's just the fact that they didn't yeah. they don't have any of these. I mean, it's kind of like, even though it's not nearly as cool a figure, but the same way Coles kept having that Cap that Cap exclusive Funko last summer. Yeah. And sometimes it was in stock. Sometimes I'm talking online. Sometimes it was in stock. Sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes by the time it was on stock and me deciding whether I'm getting it or not, it was out. Of, it was unorderable again. So it's one of those things. But except at least Coles made it so you could order it online as opposed to Target. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, it'll definitely be online. Uh, sorry guys. Well, the picture's online. You just can't order the item. <laughs> so what uh, I told you was true from a certain point of view. <laughs> I'm looking up to see. Yeah. You know, I ended up seeing that Cole's Captain America. Uh, at one point in the store. Did you? Yeah, I ended up skipping it, but I'm like looking on eBay now, and it's not really going for. Anything too extraordinary? No, he's not special. As opposed to Qui Gon, who's going for like like sixty bucks easily a pop right now. Jeez. Yeah. Let's let's check that. Actually. Yeah, I was while you were talking, I was looking just like I was looking at the Target site to see to find the magical page where it says uh, in store only. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's yeah right around uh, sixty eight <laughs> bucks, sixty five. That's uh, that's about where it's going. Yep. 
I never, I didn't even see the uh, the hooded Luke. I think that was the. Um... There's a few. There's a few of them on eBay packaged with Qui Gon. If you just look for Qui Gon pops or Qui Gon, yeah. that there's a few of them that are being sold as a as a as a, as a team as a yeah. package because I did notice those. Oh yeah, here we go. The original. Okay, yeah, the original Qui Gon Jinn was a New York Comic Con exclusive. Three hundred bucks. That one. <laughs> yeah. Two, they made two thousand of them for three hundred and fifty bucks, yep. and that's still got a day left. Yep. Jeez. Yeah, I noticed that too. It was like, oh, wow, that that makes the sixty bucks trying to get the the glow in the dark one nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you could get it and paint it. Yep. Oh man. Oi. Man, oh man. Strange times we're living in, man. Oh boy. So you want? I, I assume we're done with the toy talk. So yeah, I think so, we, we have to be. Yeah, because it's getting late. So. Here's a golden opportunity to, for you to push Sli- Slider's Cast now that it's back. Yes, Slider's Cast is back, sliderscast.com. Oh, did you listen to the last episode? No. <laughs> we can't remember our voicemail number. <laughs> so, you know which number we could remember? Oh, Lancer Cast. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we, so, if we get any vo- so if we get any Slider Cast voicemail, I'll let you know. Yeah, please. Pass it along. It's your your one-stop shop for a voicemail. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I know we definitely have a voicemail, but at the at the the end of the show, we hadn't really researched it, so it's like, ah, just send it there. Um, But yeah, sliderscast.com. Look for Sliderscast on uh, iTunes and uh, check us out. We've got the first two seasons done. And we started the the third season. I want to say last October, we got one episode out, and now we're finally, you know, continuing again. So I think we're gonna shoot for uh, one episode, one or two episodes a month. Nice. That's that's a good planned recording schedule. Yeah, manageable. Yes, that. In a perfect world, that's what we would have started. <laughs> here, fact that we took over, but now now we have to record like now we have to record like six episodes a month just so we can try to catch up, <laughs> and we ain't doing too good meeting trying to get to that point. But uh, in a perfect world, maybe by the end of May we'll be back to where we just have to dig go through the May books. We had a nice little planned recording schedule which would have gotten us there, but needless to say, things have gone <coughs> excuse me things have gone into the crapper, so I don't think. That's going to be happening, but we'll see. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I want to say that you could go through, you know, you, you could go through the issues quickly, but we covered two issues in this episode. <laughs> We're over two hours right but that's now. Because, but that's true. But that's because we sometimes, you know, you have a lot of a lot of quote unquote time to play with, so then you are fast and loose, which turns yeah. out to be long and slow. <laughs> But it, but we also talked we also touched upon different topics and we kind of branched out so it's still, so it's a, it's a well rounded episode so that so so that works yeah and trust me probably probably the irony is this episode probably won't won't be longer than the episode that, that will cover the whole quest for hope arc probably not it might it probably won't uh, so to close us out here one can only hope yes but I'm bum uh, lanterncast at gmail dot com that is your 
your one-stop shop for emailing us. <laughs> Sliders Cast too, if you want. <laughs> um, visit our website, lanterncast.com. Latest episodes, Ring Cyclopedia episodes, which we are behind on. I've been, I've wanted to do one for ages. I got to get going. Uh, plus, I want to do my, I want to do my Ultra Saber thing too. I want to put that up as a. It's a pseudo, pseudo, <laughs> ring, it's, it's, it's the ugly redheaded stepchild related to the ring cyclopedia. Uh, um, the, the, the bling slight cyclopedia. Yeah. Um, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on any of those. iTunes and Stitcher, we are on both, so please leave us a positive review on whichever platform or platforms you listen to us on. And last but not least, 708 Lantern. That's our voicemail. So let us know. What, give us your opinions, your thoughts on this episode, what you'd like to hear in future episodes. When, asterisk, when we finally catch up with all the friggin' issue reviews. <laughs> but either way, just let us know what, let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear going forward. And I think that's it. Um, what you call it? Yeah, I would probably work more on those Ring Cyclopedia episodes. Except that, like, when I have free time, I'm just kind of designing new rings. I know. So. <laughs> which, which we look forward to seeing, and again, those will those will probably be future ring encyclopedia episodes themselves once you once you're once ready. I, uh, once I get the kinks worked out. Yep. There's a, uh, there there are numerous. Yes. Uh, the one one thing that I do want to also promote is my Instagram because I have like you know twelve followers, and I'd like to have a few more. Uh, it's at Choanata, C-H-O-A-N-A-T-A, uh, and basically I just create a new, like, adorable creature every day, so. And they are adorable. Thank you. You're very welcome. So, yeah, and I mean, I'll also be posting some more, um, like, customs that I'll be working on and things that I 3D print and stuff like that, so. Cool. Check it out. Absolutely, check it out, people, so. That'll be it for tonight. Jim and I will be back probably in like about a month or so to do um, pre-birth. And I don't mean to sound like that we're dreading it. I just It's just that we're, we're tired. <laughs> <laughs> Jim might be dreading it, but the reality is it's probably in the proper time frame. At, at, to be honest, at this point, it doesn't even matter whether we record it because we're so far behind on regular episodes. It's kind of hard. If we're only doing one release a week, it's kind of hard to justify putting that one out right now. That's the irony <laughs> of where we were. Wasn't that long ago? It seems like only yesterday we were all caught up where we actually were doing like like the, the same month's books in the month that they came out. And I now, that. and now we're so far behind, Chad Bokelman. We're so far behind that I, it's like it's really it's really frustrating. But we are working on it. There's going to be more four issue review episodes to try to dig us out of the hole. And luckily, Star Trek and Planet of the Apes will be ending soon too. So that's going to at least knock off stuff that come knock off some of the stuff on our list to catch up, so we can start doing more reviews of different things in the past to do our Green Lantern State of the Union episode, which at this point is not even... We'll be <laughs> I know at this point we'll be lucky if we can get it out in the second... We should be able to get it out in the second quarter because we still have till June. I'm really Man. hoping May is when we're going to start digging at, digging out of this hole, but... Uh, it's funny because, like, if we had done the State of the Green Lantern Union, like, a couple, like, a, a month or two ago, it would be so vastly different than how it's going to be when we finally do it. Yeah, I agree. So in a way, it's pro it's probably not a bad thing that it's going to be when it is because we're going to get we're getting closer to the the actual a year from rebirth, from DC rebirth. So it probably is a fair time to be able to to look back at 
both titles and where the book is going and where. So, yeah, that's still going to be a good episode because probably it'll, you know, you're obviously you're in, you obviously are invited. You should be on. If Dan wants to be on, that makes sense. Corbin wants should be on, I think, and uh, Myron and I'll be on. Chad probably will be on. <laughs> Chad might get it in. <laughs> I was going to say, if we tell him the date. But yeah, that's an episode I am looking forward to. But there's a lot of cool stuff we do want to get done. So that's why, even though I hate to lose episodes in, in consolidating all these issues into one, I really – but it's, it's got to be done at this point or else, when, or, or else we may not catch up until the end of the summer, and that's not what I want. <laughs> so on that note, um, good night, everybody. <laughs> so long. <laughs>